Hey y'all, welcome to our fourth session together for Advent. I'm Erin Warren and we are studying the character of the one who came. Advent comes from the Latin word that means coming. And so it's a time for us to focus on the one who came, but um, also his coming again. And so in this season of in-between and in this season of waiting, um, I really wanted to spend time focusing on the character of Jesus, the one who came. Um, as we wait, um, we have looked at Jesus as the way and the way maker. Jesus is the truth and the truth teller. And then this past week dove into Jesus is the life and the life giver. There are so many passages that I could have chosen that we could have um, studied this past week that talk about how God gives life, how Jesus is life and gives life. Um, in fact, it actually features heavily in my new book called Feasting on Truth that is coming out in January, 2023. Um, and his word, it's um, his word gives us life. He gives us life. There are places throughout all of scripture, Old Testament and New Testament that point to the life giving literally right from the beginning of creation. But I wanted to go to this passage in Romans because I um, have been teaching through Romans in my Tuesday night group and um, we are about halfway through. And I just was so struck by the comparisons that we see in Romans six. Um, it's one of the things throughout this whole study where we have seen um, the the like last week we saw the comparison between um, Jesus as truth and the devil as liar. And so again, here we see this juxtaposition um, of of death versus life. And that is what we are looking at. So just a real quick review on context. Paul, the Apostle Paul wrote the book of Romans. Um, he wrote it to the church in Rome, a, a church he actually had not visited yet, which is rare. Most of the letters are written to places he has been. Um, but he um, very much has a heart for this church for a lot of reasons. One being the fact that it is in a very strategic location because all roads lead to Rome. And um, previous in history, Emperor Claudius has expelled the Jews um, from Rome. And so the, the Roman church became Gentile in the, that season when Emperor Claudius died the Jews were allowed to come back to Rome. That edict was repealed. And the Jewish believers came back to a very Gentile church. And so there were some clashes over ethnic, um, ethnic issues about what it means to be a Christian. And so Paul writes this, his longest letter, with the intent and purpose of creating unity despite their diversity. Um, he talks very heavily about being common in sin and common in salvation. The first four chapters of the book really focus on what our life looks like without Christ. And it's really important, just kind of as a quick side note, this is a great case study for why context is so important. Because if you were to read chapters one through four without understanding that context, that this is what our life looks like without Jesus, um, then it's very easy to misinterpret that the issues within the church are the, are the sins he's talking about. And so he's not necessarily saying all of these sins are things that you all are struggling with, like in some of his other letters. He's saying, listen, this is where you are without Christ. This is where you are without Christ. And so um, 
And then he says, he kind of brings it together. Like you're common in your sin and you're common in your salvation. And he's really trying to kind of reset that framework. Um, so um, we, uh, Romans six comes from the second section of the book where he is saying, this is what our life looks like because of Christ. And so that is really where um, we are living in this. Um, I want to define life from John 14, six, which is our theme verse. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth and the life. No one comes to the father except through me. Um, it is the Greek word Zoe. It's not just about physical life, but also spiritual life. And I love the way the helps word study describes it. Um, it is always and only comes, sorry, let me say it, start it over. It always only comes from and is sustained by God's self-existent life. The Lord intimately shares his gift of life with his people, creating each in his image, which gives all the capacity to know his eternal life. It is really important for us to understand that God is not dependent on anyone or anything for his life. He is self-existing. And because of that, that is how he is able to give us life. He is our source of life, physical life, spiritual life, all of it. We have breath in our lungs because of his self-existing life that he shares with us. He does not need anyone to sustain his life, but we need him to sustain ours. Um, and so it's um, that's kind of what's hit a little bit about life. And a little bit more of that context, one quick little note. So this is important too, is anytime we're jumping into scripture, we kind of need to know what happened just before that helps us better understand. Um, so Paul has just said in Romans 5.20, now the law came to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. And in this um, section of scripture, he's giving almost kind of these anticipated um, he's anticipating the objections a someone reading this letter might um, say, because this is a letter that's being read in its entirety to the church. And so um, he's kind of anticipating, okay, well, I said that somebody might argue this. So let me go ahead and answer that argument. So that's where we're going to pick up. Um, he just said, where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. And I think you probably can figure out where this is going. So um, verse uh, one, chapter six. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. Fun side note. This is an excellent passage to listen in a British accent in the ESV version because I love hearing by no means. Um, how can we who died to sin still live in it? So he's saying, okay, okay, okay. So because grace abounds when we sin more, we should just sin more, right? And he's like, no, 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 no. You've got this all wrong. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness. Of life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set 
free from sin. So he is arguing. He's saying, no, we do not continue to live in sin just so grace can abound more. He's saying we died to sin. How can you who died to sin still live in it? And we see him holding these two, the death and the life. And he uses this example of baptism. Um, baptism was a symbol of death and burial. And so it is a, a death to who we were and a raise to new life in who we now are because of Christ. Um, he, um, he was raised by the glory of the Father. And so we see that it is God's power that raised him to new life. Um, the same for us. When um, we say yes to Jesus and we have this symbol of baptism, baptism doesn't save us, but it is a symbol for us. It's a reminder and a public declaration that helps us remember that we have died to our old self and we have been raised to newness of life. That Greek word newness is derived from a word that means fresh and new. Think of it like a renewal. Um, we have... Um, our life is no longer what it was. Um, we were slaves to sin. We were um, stuck in sin. But because of Jesus, we now have new life, a renewed life. And um, we see here in verse 7, it says that we have been set free from sin. We have been set free. The second time week in a row, we have seen the freedom that we have. We talked about that with Jesus is the truth and the truth teller. Um, that the one who has been set free is free indeed. Um, that we have a recognition of our sin and our sin no longer has power over us. We are never, we are no longer bound by the chains of sin, but that we walk in freedom from that controlling us because we have allowed God to, to step in and be the one who is in charge. Um, 2 Corinthians 5, 17 through 19 says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting us to us the message of reconciliation. Y'all, the old is gone. The new has come. We no longer are separated from him. That was our way in the Waymaker week. We were, access to God was closed off. But now we can come near. We have been reconciled. Our relationship with God has been restored because of Jesus. We were dead, but now we are alive. I love this um, quote. I've heard it in many different places. Um, many different people have said it, but Jesus didn't come to make bad people good. He came to make dead people alive. And that is what he did for you. And that's what he did for me. This is our new reality. Um, and so we see here, Paul using a transitional word as we move into verse eight. So he's saying now, because of Jesus, this is who you are. Verse eight. Now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we also live with him. We know that Christ being raised from the dead will never die again. 
no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God. So you must also consider yourself dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourself to God as those who have been brought from death to life and your members to God as instruments of instruments of righteousness for sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under law but under grace y'all because we have been raised to new life because he has given us life and he has um he is life death no longer has dominion over you Sin no longer has dominion over you. In John 11, 25 through 26, as um, Jesus speaks with Martha, who just lost her brother Lazarus, um, Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet he shall live. And everyone who believes in me shall never die. We get to experience the hope of eternal life. We get to um, enjoy that life here because of the sacrifice of Jesus. He is the resurrection and the life. Because of that, because of that life we have, sin no longer has its way in us as well. Um, we should not allow sin to control us. We should not bow to its passions. We should instead obey what God asks of us, his way that he lays out for us in scripture. Um, this particular passage right here, where he talks about your members, the body, your body, do not give parts of your body over to its passions and sinful desires. Um, back in Romans 3, 10 through 18, Paul gives this rapid fire quoting of different Old Testament verses, and they all reference different body parts. And it gives this idea that we are all sinful head to toe. And he's saying now, because we have been, um, we have died to our old self, that those sin, the sin on, that um, from head to toe is no longer in control over us. But we instead have the Holy Spirit in us, breathing life into us, carrying us, teaching us, guiding us, um, so that we are no longer bowing to the passions of sin. Um, I don't know about you, y'all, but I have just um, I have been on this journey over the last couple of years of being able to recognize my own sin. Um, and um, it's not fun <laughs> and it's not pretty. Um, but God has been what I call shaking a lot out of me so that I will look less like my sinful self and, and continue to renew me and to make me more like Jesus. That's the churchy way we say it, but it's, it is looking more like Jesus. It's acting more like Jesus. Um, Matthew Henry says, no man can at the same time be both dead and alive. He is a fool who desiring to be dead unto sin thinks he may live in it. Y'all, we have to recognize our sin and it's not fun and it's not pretty. And I know this isn't the thing we want to think about at Christmas. We want to think about him coming and we want to think about him dying and we want to think about him raised to new life. And so we get new life. 
But there is a part that we play in this and it's that role of sanctification. It's that living in the already, but not yet. And we kind of talked about that last week with John 17, 17, about how um, we are sanctified by the truth of his word. The more we are in his word, the more we will recognize who God is. And we will also recognize our sin. His word has a way of purifying us and, and helping us in that renewal of life. Y'all, this for me, is a passage that helps nullify that whole statement that, well, this is just God, how God made me. I'm just always going to struggle with fear. I'm just always going to struggle with pride. I'm just going to always struggle with anger. It's just the way he made me. Y'all, God calls us to move toward him in sanctification. We, and, and it starts with this recognition that we are no longer slaves to sin. Sin has no dominion over you. Christ does. And because of that, we get to walk in the newness of life. We, it does not have the final word over us. Romans 8 chapter 6 says, for the mind of the flesh is set is death, but to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. To set our minds on him, on his Holy Spirit, to set our minds on his truth, it produces life in us. One of my favorite um, commentaries is a cultural commentary that kind of helps fill in some of the cultural things that we might um, that we might miss when reading scripture. Um, and it's called the IVP Bible Background Commentary. Um, and it says, one should embrace one's identity in terms of one's destiny in Christ, not one's past in Adam. We cannot continue to live in the sin of our, of the past, but allow God and allow Jesus to breathe in his spirit, to breathe new life into us, to remind us of our identity and our destiny in Christ and allow that to be what drives us, not as an excuse to continue to sin, but because our, his grace abounds more, but because we are just so thankful for what he has done for us, that it makes us want to continue. We need to hold that tension of grace and truth, the grace that covers us, that makes us justified and righteous, but also the truth that we are sinners in progress. And that is what Paul continues um, to do in, in as he moves through Romans. He continues to kind of set that up. But here's what I want you to know. God does not expect and call us to do this all on our own strength. This is why he gives us the Holy Spirit. Um, if you read through John 14 through 17, there's several places in there where he talks about what the Holy Spirit does for us. He convicts us of our sin. He teaches us. He helps us remember. He is there to guide us. Um, we are not called to do this on our own. He gives us his strength to do it. First Corinthians 15, 45. Thus it is written, the first man, Adam, became a living being. The last Adam became a life giving spirit. Ephesians 2, 1 through 10, and you were dead in your trespasses in which you once walked following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passion of our flesh, carrying out the desires of our, of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. Oh my God. 
but God, two of my favorite words in all of scripture, but God being rich in mercy because of the great love he has with which he has loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved and raised up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming age, he might show the immeasurable riches of his kindness of his grace and kindness toward us in Jesus Christ. For by grace, you have been saved through faith. And this is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of work so that no one may boast for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared before him that we should walk in them. We were dead, but now we are alive through his grace and his mercy. And um, this one, this one is, I think, the one that hit me the most this week. Um, it was one of our additional passages, John 10, 10. The thief comes to steal and kill and destroy. We see that same picture of the enemy. We see that same picture of the devil who, who is a liar, who is the father of lies, who has no truth in him. He comes to steal and kill and destroy. But Jesus came that, I, that we may have life and have it abundantly. Some versions say to the full. Let's not short ourselves from the life that he died for us to live. It starts here and now, and it will be ultimately um, finished when he returns or when we make it to heaven. We get to experience the joy and the peace and the patience and the richness of his mercy and his kindness and his grace and his goodness for all eternity. That is the life that we get to have. We get to have it abundantly because Jesus is the way and the way maker. I can approach him confidently because Jesus is the truth and the truth teller. I can abide in him freely. And because Jesus is the life and the life giver, I can live through him abundantly. Christmas is only one week away and we have one final week of study. Jesus is the one who came. We are going to um, hone in on one of my favorite tellings of the Christmas story. It, it doesn't read like the Christmas story on the surface, but Christmas is about his coming. And John 1, 1 through 14 gives us such an incredible picture of the character of the one who came, the one who came to give us life, to tell the truth, and to make the way. Um, and um, there are two other passages, the additional passages um, that will, um, that are just some of my favorite. There's some of my favorite pictures of Jesus in all of scripture. And so as we approach this final week, as we focus on his character, I just, I want you to sit with the truths of who Jesus is, his divine nature, um, his Emmanuel, God with us, um, and I, I've already kind of gone over the character, I mean, sorry, the context of John, but just as a reminder, as you are reading this, John is writing to prove that Jesus is God. He focuses heavily on the deity of Jesus, and he is pointing to him as the Messiah. And he tells us toward the end, in the second to last chapter of the book of John, that he came so that we may believe and in him may find life. 
And so as I pray us out, I um, want to encourage you to find time. A week before Christmas is insane and busy, and I get that. Find time to sit with these passages and simply write out who Jesus is. Would you pray with me? Jesus, thank you for being the life giver. Thank you for being the source of life, that your self-existing, self-sustaining life is what we are able to draw on, Lord, because, um, and you share that gift of life with us freely. Lord, every breath that we take, everything that we have, it is from you and because of you. Lord, I just pray that you would continue to let us feel your life over us when, um, we feel dead, when we feel lifeless, when our struggles with our sin pop up again and again and again. Lord, may we remember who we are, whose we are. Lord, that death has no dominion over us. Sin has no dominion over us. Lord, let us be humble and um, and just see you, to see your life over us, Lord, that we would be compelled and propelled forward in our walk with you, Lord, um, so that we would experience the life abundance that you have for us. It's in your name I pray, amen.